I have, um, I have written down some of these dreams in the form of fiction. Um, not that it would be of any interest. I'd be very interested. Whoa. Rashi. I've shown it to anyone before. Journal of Impossible Things. Look at these creatures. Such imagination. Oh, it's quite a hobby. It's wonderful. And quite an eye for the pretty girls. I don't know, she's uh, just an invention. This, this character, Rose, I call her Rose. Seems to disappear later on. Oh, that's the box. The blue box. It's always there. Um, like a, a, like a magic carpet. This, this fun little box that transports me to faraway places. Like a doorway? Hmm. I sometimes think how magical life would be if stories like this were true. Hello and welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, and as always I am joined by... Scott, hello, I am Scott. You are Scott. (laughs) Something that seems to delight you today, which is lovely. Again, I just always feel so awkward starting no. these shows. You've got to change into your persona, you know? I take a breath. That's why there's always that pause between our general discussion and then when we when I start introducing the shows because I have to switch gears into, okay, we're no longer in conversational mode, we're into presenting mode, you know? Sounds difficult. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this week we are covering Human Nature Part 1 of the Family of Blood storyline with David Tennant. And probably one of my favorite two-parters of all time. It is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, But this episode first aired on the 26th of May, 2007, uh, which was a Saturday. And at the time of recording, 15 years, one month and 14 days ago. So we've just passed the 15th anniversary for it last month, uh, which is just disgusting. I remember, I remember what, again, we say this quite often whenever we're looking back at these older New Who episodes. I remember watching this as a kid, you know. I was uh, nine when it came out. Like, what seven. the fuck? I was seven. Uh, yeah, but it what an, um, like, oh, God, I remember being glued to the TV watching this one. Absolutely compelling, you know? One of the uh, best, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the US president at this time was, of course, George W. Bush, and the UK prime minister was, of course, Tony Blair. There's really only one interesting thing that happened on this day, and that happened in Woburn, Massachusetts, where a meteorite punched a hole through a warehouse roof, uh, which I thought was kind of poignant for this episode with the giant spaceship that crashes down, you know? Uh, maybe the meteorite was full of aliens that want to take over. I don't remember really what their plan was they just kind of want to kill the doctor they were like weird goopy people weren't they and they just yeah they want they want to take we want to take the power of regeneration yeah, so they can be immortal it. can you scott this is 2007 is such an interesting year for films uh especially may uh could you guess what is number one at the box office this is us only so could you guess what's number one at the box office on this so day? we so Blink is in two weeks, and when we did Blink, Pirates of the Caribbean, I think, was the number one movie. And it's either Pirate, uh, sorry, it's 
probably Spider-Man 3. It could be Shrek the third. It could be anything else. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Am I uh, close? You are extremely close. In that you said the right answer, uh, but not quite. The correct <laughs> the correct film on this day, the number one highest grossing movie, has just come out, and that is Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. It stays okay. number one for a number of okay. weeks. Uh, and it beat out Shrek the Third, which was number one <laughs> last week. And Shrek the Third beat out Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Uh, it was the trilogy of trilogies. Uh, <laughs> and they all suck. I haven't seen I haven't seen Pirates of the Caribbean 3, but yeah, they famously all suck. Spider-Man 3 is a dumb fun movie if you take it yeah. for the dumb fun it is it's fine shrek the third i have not seen in many 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 years um which i don't really remember if it anything about it it's the one with the babies isn't it yeah it's, it's also justin timberlake is merlin no idea i honestly don't remember that one but i remember shrek forever after which was much more fun yeah. um and pirates of the caribbean at world's end is dark uh, like it's opens up. Turn with on a, the light, then. <laughs> but then I can't see the TV. Uh, <laughs> it opens up with a child being hung. Um, it's it's a very, a very dark for a Disney film specifically. I really enjoyed the Pirates trilogy. Uh, not so much the ones that came after the four and five. Oh, I've not seen five, but I didn't really enjoy four. You, you um, know, you know what else has a child being hung? The book of human nature, Doctor oh. Who. <laughs> Which Interesting. Is, the main the main kid Tim gets hung in it, and when he comes back to life because he's a time lord essentially because he has the device. Mm. That seems like a cop out. Uh, yeah. So in in sorry, uh, we'll get into the book differences later on. But the main thing about the book is it's in the universe where there's a time lord version of death, and basically oh. death is just waiting for the doctor. And then he's like, oh, you're not the doctor. Go back to life, you. Uh, books, <laughs> book seems strange. That seems like a strange book. Uh, uh, there's like 50 books before this, so I haven't got the setup. I haven't got a clue what the fuck is going on with the death. It's a good book. Just some bits where I'm confused because I haven't read any of the other books. Fair enough. Uh, but as we turn our eye back to history on May 26th, Let's take a look at what was going on in the world. Here's a hint. Not a lot. May 26th is kind of a boring year. Just every single year. Uh, in 1961, German King Otto II was crowned. Uh, then we're going to flash way forward into 1805. And the 1800s was the busiest time for May, May 26th. It, it kind of had a flash in the pan moment where everybody was loving it. And then afterwards, it kind of died again. But in 1805, Lewis and Clark first sight the Rocky Mountains. Lewis and Clark, obviously famous Superman explorers. Yep. Yep, uh, <laughs> famous famous explorers Superman and Lois. Uh, in 1824, Brazil is is recognized as a country by the United States, which is strange that it, that was not that long ago. It was like what, 200 years ago when Brazil gets recognized as a country by the U.S. Very strange. Uh, in 1864, the territory of Montana is formed, uh, which would obviously Montana, Montana. Yeah, and obviously would turn into a state later on. Uh, in 1897, uh, Dracula by Irish author Bram Stoker is published by Archibald Constable and Company in London. Uh, publishing day of the Dracula book. Have you ever read it or seen Bram Stoker's movie of Dracula? No and no, but I've Same. seen the Stephen Moffat Dracula and it was yeah. terrible. Well, oh. it, it had two good episodes when the last one was Dracula with an iPad. <laughs> that's, that's how Bram Stoker imagined it. 
um, <laughs> when he was writing the book in 1897. Uh, I've not see- read the book, nor have I seen the Bram Stoker's Dracula movie. Been meaning to do both, but I have such a huge book catalogue at the moment. Um, Nerd. <laughs> I, I, I'm packing up my stuff because I'm, I'm moving uh, today when this episode comes out, and I have got about five boxes just full of books. Uh, <laughs> I've read most of them. There's there's a few in there that I've not yet got around to, but I have read most of them. I, I could open a library with the amount of books I own. Uh, and then we are flashing from 1897 all the way to 2021 because nothing oh, else nothing else really interesting happened. There was a lot of stuff that happened, but all of it was just kind of, eh, I don't care. Uh, but in 2021, Amazon says that it will buy the 97-year-old film and television studio oh. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer for $8.45 billion. And this is poignant for a conversation that me and you were having off-air about uh, yeah. Stargate <laughs> because Stargate is owned by MGM. And I am uh, quite a large Stargate fan. I'm currently re-watching SG-1 from the start. Um, I think it's a brilliant TV show, and we were we were talking about how it's very strange. It's not on any, you know, streaming services besides like Netflix in the US or whatever. Over here in the UK, it's not on any streaming services. Uh, actually, it's on Sky. Uh, Sky isn't a streaming service. Uh, Sky has Now TV, which is a streaming service. Okay, but uh, it's still <laughs> bad. Uh, but besides that. Uh, it's really hard to watch Stargate. And we were like, it's so strange. Amazon are sitting on this huge IP without really doing anything with it or creating a new show. Amazon love creating sci-fi shows. They have like 15,000 of them. Uh, But the fact that this purchase was only announced in 2021 makes me think that it's still going to be a little while before everything's finalized. Or if everything is finalized, it'll be a little bit before the wheels start turning. You know, giant corporate conglomerations are kind of like that. What else does MGM have apart from Stargate and James Bond and Wizard of Oz? Um, was there the only MGM? Uh, was there the only MGM movies I can think of? Because MGM kind of died basically. They haven't really made many movies in like the last three decades. Okay, so they've got James Bond. Apparently, they own The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, they own Fargo, which is a very good movie and a pretty decent TV show I've not seen all the way through. It's I've an, only seen season one. It's an anthology show, so it was yeah. very interesting. They own Stargate, obviously. Um, apparently they owned Rocky, uh, Legally Blonde, The Viking Show, which is on Amazon, although the sequel's on Netflix. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love things like that. Pink Panther is apparently owned by MGM. Silence of the Lambs, Robocop, that's a big one, mm. uh, and that's apparently the major ones that they own. It's quite an interesting list, kind of a mishmash. I would definitely say Stargate is the most interesting out of that lot for me You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to predict something that's probably never going to happen. A Robocop series made by the creators of The Boys. That would be amazing. That, you know? that would be very, very good. Are, are you listening, Amazon? <laughs> yeah, that is, that's a good idea. That is a good idea because the original RoboCop is a gore fest. If you've only ever seen the reboot from like 2014 that has no violence in it, the original movie has like a 15 yeah. second shot of a dude getting torn apart by machine guns. Like it's, it's amazing. It's it's such a great satire of mo- well then modern society and also a gore fest, which is what the boys is. Would yeah, be perfect. That would be. That would be very good. Uh, yeah, that is that's just I don't have any problems with that <laughs> idea. That's a solid idea. We should we should get them on the phone. Get Mr. Bezos up. Call him up. 
But uh, that is all the information I have for the On This Day section, Scott. Shall we move into the writing off section? Oh boy, yes. This episode was written by Paul Cornell. He was born in 1967, and he was a fan of Doctor Who's, and Brain of Morbius was a big episode for him. You know that iconic moment where Morbius, Morbius. turns... Morbius. He... Morbin time. Yeah, I'm... fuck you, you stole my joke. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when Morbius turns to Tom Baker and goes, it's Morbin time... Paul Cornell was just tooked on Doctor Who, man. I so mean, most in... people, really. <laughs> that was the, the the starting point for the show's popularity. It really was, man. You know, Jared Leto is a as a like a ten year old. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant villain. Uh, but yeah, uh, his professional writing career began in 1990 when he won a Young Writers Competition, which was screened on BBC Two. I mean, the year after, he just jumped into Doctor Who, man. 1991, he reworked his Doctor Who fan fiction as a book called Time Worm Revelation, which was published by Virgin Books. And Virgin Books is, of course, basically where Doctor Who fans went for the new fix of Doctor Who after the show was cancelled. Of course, Doctor Who fans went to Virgin Books. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, Time Worm was like a part of a trilogy which I think introduced death and... More mythology about the Time Lord culture. I have no idea what the fuck is going on. You know, as I said, Death is a character in Human Nature of a book, and I'm like, what? Why is he here? <laughs> okay. So, I mean, it's not really canon per se anymore, uh, the, these books, but it might be interesting to read that trilogy just to see what this guy's brain was thinking. Because, you know, Time Lord culture is never really explored other than it's a feudal society. You know, mm. that's basically the most we know about it. And, of course, we know that the Time Lords kidnapped the Doctor as a child and they yeah. used her DNA. <laughs> yeah, that as well. I forgot about that. Uh, that that's going to be retconned, I'm pretty sure. And, again, we're, like, 14 minutes into this episode, we're talking about Chibnall already. You brought and... him up. You brought him up again. <laughs> Your fault. So, in 1992, Paul Cornell created a fan-favorite companion for the Seventh Doctor, which is Bernice Summerfield. Which Bernice is, of course, the person that Big Finish got the rights to when they wanted to try and make Doctor Who. They were like, we're just going to focus on Bernice and then we'll approach the BBC and we'll get the license. And they, of course, got the license for Doctor Who. Um, So he wrote several Doctor Who books, short stories and comics in the late 90s. Most famously, the award-winning Human Nature, which is a really good book. I would recommend it. It's, It's... it's a little. It's a very dark book. It's very dark compared. As I said, it has a child being hung to death, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is mm-hmm. exactly what you want from Doctor Who. You know, more children being killed. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up with the Moffat era. That's exactly what I want. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he would write some more Doctor Who big finish in the early two thousands. He began his TV writing career in nineteen ninety six with shows like Children's Ward, Coronation Street, and Casualty. And he was supposed to write spin-off episodes of it. He was supposed to write episodes of a spin-off of Queer as Folk, which was the Russell T. Davis series. But obviously Queer as Folk, Queer as Folk was like big for Channel 4. It was like revolutionary. And they were going to do a spin-off and then all of a sudden the spin-off got cancelled and never got hmm. made, which is quite surprising. Yeah. But yeah, obviously he was friends with Russell T. Davis. In 2003, Paul Cornell wrote Scream of a Shalka, which was an animated web series starring Richard E. Grant as a as the Ninth Doctor, and it was supposed to be the start of a brand new era for Doctor Who. 
But when Russell T. Davis was like, nah, I'm actually going to make Doctor Who. And that <laughs> animated series kind of got cancelled. And Russell T. Davis was like, hey, why don't you just write an episode for the 2005 season? Which he wrote Father's Day. Which oh. is a really fucking good episode, man. Very, very, very good episode. Uh, messes with the canon in huge ways, though. Oh, for sure. But when Father's Day came out, my dad died nine months before it Yikes. aired. Yeah. So the episode was like very important for me. Yeah, It was like the first episode that aired that began my love for Doctor Who, basically. Like, I watched episodes before that. But Father's Day was just hit me on a whole new level, man. And then obviously two years later, in 2007, he wrote Human Nature and the Family of Blood, which obviously we're talking about today. And since Doctor Who, he's mainly been a comic book writer, writing for Nerd. characters like Captain Britain, The Young Avengers, Fantastic Four, Batman, Wolverine, Superman, Spider-Man, I think, at some point. He's, oh, wow. he's written a lot of comics. <laughs> yeah. And he's a writer for a lot of books like the dark fantasy novel Chalk. And the most recent uh, is the sci-fi time-bending Rosebud. I haven't read a single one of his books apart from Human Nature, but I'm interested. I will sure. definitely add him to the ever-growing list of authors' books I need to read. Uh, definitely start of Human Nature. It's, it's a brilliant book. So many good books out there. So many good books. And so many great books coming as well. If... if if I know anything. <laughs> imagine imagine, <laughs> imagine reading a book or writing a book. What Nerds. A nerd. <laughs> Nerds, all of them. Uh, so the director of this episode is Charlie Palmer. His career started in 1992 as a clapper loader on the on a t- bunch of TV shows, which he then graduated in 1995 and became a focus puller on TV series like Sharp and would be a focus puller till 1999 when he finally became a director and he he mainly directs like murder mystery shows like mm. uh, Midsummer Murders and Death in Paradise. His Doctor Who episodes include Smith and Jones, The Shakespeare Code, Human Nature, and Family of Blood, which are all pretty per- decent per- episodes. Apart from Shakespeare Code, is kind of shaky. Shakespeare Code is that the one with the werewolf? No, it's the one no. of Shakespeare. Shakespeare, I feel like, is in the one with the werewolves, isn't he? Was no, is that which no, one's you're... with Shakespeare in it? What Shakespeare is the one. I think it is the one with the witches. Oh, yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, the famous line from the Doctor is, Oh, good J.K. Rowling, I JK. love you. Yeah, good old J.K. <laughs> and it's like, ah, God, that's aged terribly, hasn't it? And then in te- he took a break for 10 years from Doctor Who. He then uh, directed episodes like Oxygen and The Eaters of Light, which are polar opposites. Uh, yeah, Oxygen, that's a pretty decent anti-capitalism one with Capaldi, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, where you have to pay to have oxygen on your spacesuit, otherwise you're basically dead. Uh, and Eaters of Light, we've spoken quite a bit about in these past yeah. few weeks. We're going to have to add it to the schedule because it keeps <laughs> it keeps coming up. Um, Wait, it's still an episode I've never seen. Yeah, even like more the reason. the only episode. <laughs> even, even more reason to, to add it to the schedule soon because it is definitely one worth, worth talking about. And his dad, Jeffrey Palmer, was in The Silurians, The Mutants, and Voyage of the Damned. Oh. He was the captain in Voyage of the Damned, if you remember that character. It's been a while since we've done Voyage of the Damned. <laughs> Which episode is Voyage of the Damned? It's, it's the Titanic one. Okay, and he plays the, the captain. captain. Oh, yes. okay, yes, I know who he is. I know who yes. he is, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So He's the guy that shoots shoots um, Alonzo. 
Yes. Yes. Okay. I got you. Yeah, good episode. We surprisingly Very, liked it yeah. a lot. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, so this episode came about because Russell T. Davis just loved Father's Day and wanted more scripts from Paul. So he just phoned him up and Paul was like, oh, you want me to do Human Nature before Russell T. Davis ever mentioned Human Nature? I was in the <laughs> works. And Russell T. Davis considers Human Nature to be the best Doctor Who story ever. Wow. Which is kind of wild. <laughs> way, to, way to pat yourself on the back. At the... <laughs> oh yeah, the, the best Doctor Who episode ever was when I was showrunner. <laughs> like... No, no, not the episode, but the actual oh, book. Oh, the book, okay. okay. He, he thought the book was like actually one of the best pieces of fiction ever, which wow. is... So yeah, he, he wasn't in the market to adapt books into episodes, but just this episode, he wanted to bring it to a wider audience and... Yeah, I can see why he wanted to do that because it's a brilliant two-parter. It is. It is so it's unlike anything that we'd really seen in Doctor Who before that point, you know. Uh, I thought it was extremely creative and very fun. So the book is very similar to this episode. It has a lot of the same characters, like obviously the Doctor, Joan, Tim, a lot of the same characters. But it, the main difference is it starts off with the death of Benny's friend, Benny is just grieving over this and the Doctor is like not reacting to it because he cannot experience human emotions. So the Doctor is like, I'm just going to try and get this ball, which traps myself into the ball and then I'll become human for like a few months. Okay, so, so that's, just, the, that's the, their version of the stopwatch. Yeah, he, he just wants to understand grief. Um, in the episode, the ball was changed into a stopwatch because of the idea that you feel more drawn into a stopwatch than you do with a ball. Also, time. Yeah, and also, and also, of course, with watch goes into the season final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a a big brilliant. Way. And it also goes into the season fi- final of Flux in a technically big way as well, where all of the Doctor's other Flux memories are hidden inside the stopwatch, and she just kind of throws it into the heart of the TARDIS. Um you know, I really like the idea of the stopwatch. I think it's such a cool little, yeah, cool little uh, device. One of my favorite parts of the book deals with the Doctor's lack of humanity. In so later on in the book, they finally get the ball, and Joan wants to hold it, and she has a, like a flashback to her husband dying. And the most horrendous part of that is she's experiencing it through the Doctor's emotions, and she feels nothing for her husband, and that's a really tragic it's way to write the doctor I, it's a really interesting way to write the doctor not feeling grief i i don't know how i feel about that characterization of the doctor himself because i always think of the doctor as an extremely emotional alien you know almost to a fault they're too emotional yeah. but that's a product of new who yeah in classic in classic who a just grabs a gun and shoots folk <laughs> like when adric dies at the end of earth shock he's like Oh no, I've lost Adric. Anyway, let's just go on to this other planet. Like he he grieves Adric for like one second and just moves on. I suppose the way that they might be looking at it, one is they don't really have time to to worry about having to grieve, and then the second one is this is like an immortal alien, you yeah. know, who can time travel. Yeah, people's moral can... lives really don't mean that much when you're immortal and can time travel. You know. Yeah, the Doctor can visit any of his dead companions at any yeah. time he wants, but yeah. he would obviously just mess with the timeline, but yeah, you know, well, that's, that's why I like about, about more modern who's take on the doctor is he is this infinitely, you know, can live forever 
alien uh but he still has that almost human connection where he's like oh i just love everybody you know i'm so sad people die and i don't this is the hard part of my life you know where you you get that empathy from him otherwise he's kind of unlikable uh it's very different to what porn uh, Paul Cornell writes because in, <laughs> in the porn. <laughs> <laughs> in the book he describes the dog. <laughs> he descri- <laughs> in the book he describes the doctor as a man with two hearts who cannot love, which is like a oh, really interesting. I, that's a fun, really depressing description. Yeah, you know, but I, you know, I, I yeah, like the, the other this... way: two hearts and loves too much. This was in 1995, and obviously the Doctor was a very different character back then compared to how Russell T. Davis approached the Doctor. And for this episode, of course, we had to change it to the Doctor's on the run from somewhere, from something, and he has to hide himself, which mm-hmm. is a interesting way to do it. Uh, so, uh, final notes is, uh, Paul attended all the script readings for Series 3 to just understand Martha's character. And Martha's character is, like, the best depicted here, I would say. She's not whining after the doctor. Uh, she's still whining after him. Yeah. But not as much. Uh, not as much, <laughs> for sure. Um, so, yeah, Paul wanted to change the story slightly by having the doctor, John Smith, wake up already married to Joan with Martha as a maid. But Russell kept on telling him to make it closer to the book. And Russell wound up rewriting most of this episode. It could be considered Russell's D. Davis episode rather than Paul Cornell's, which is. Russell T. Davis did a lot more for the show than we realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, even if you're not credited for it, he still, you know, edits every script. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I would say he probably like rewrote like seventy percent of these two parters, which is in an insane amount to do. <laughs> yeah, definitely an insane amount to do. But sometimes the script you just need to tidy it up a bit, you know. Yeah, but that's it for the notes. Shall we just Ooh, jump into the episode? Let us indeed jump into the episode. You told me to come and collect that book, sir. Good lad, yes. Yes! The definitive account of mapping by Edgerton Price. Where did I put it? And I wanted a little word. Your marks aren't quite good enough. I'm top ten of my class, sir. Now, be honest, Timothy. You should be the very top. You're a clever boy. You seem to be hiding it. Where is that book? I know why. Keeping your head low avoids the mockery of your classmates. But no man should hide himself, don't you think? Yes, sir. Clever. Time. Be proud of it. Use it. Time. The secret lies within. I'm trapped. I'm caged inside the coffin and in the dark, but waiting. Always waiting. Fascinating details about the siege, really quite remarkable. Are you all right? Yes, sir. Fine, sir. Fine, then. Good. And remember, use that brain of yours. Power of a time. You're really not looking at yourself, old chap. I'm bothering you. No, sir. Thank you, sir. The episode begins with thrilling action as the Doctor and Martha come running into the TARDIS and the Doctor is yelling something about, did they see you? Did they see you? And Martha's like, what? No, I, I don't think they did. No, no, they didn't. And then they start, uh, you know, the Doctor starts powering up the TARDIS and running, but it turns out whoever these people are they're running away from are following them through the vortex, through a stolen vortex manipulator. Uh, 
and the doctor's like there's there's they're going to follow us no matter where we go there, there's only one thing i have to do i have to do it oh my god and he pulls out the watch or not the watch the the stopwatch uh, not the stopwatch the pocket watch there we go i got there in the end uh he pulls out the pocket watch and he's like martha you need to listen to me because i need i'm, I'm about to do something and then it cuts away right before we get the information to john smith aka the doctor waking up wait in... <laughs> wait, wait, wait 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 what yeah, I know. How, how is that possible? They look nothing alike. It's, 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 and they don't even sound alike. You know, one, <laughs> one, one is generic English, and the other one is pompous generic English. Um, but John Smith wakes up in his striped pajamas in 1913 uh, in some boarding school, as Martha, the cleaning lady, comes in to to offer him his breakfast and. Uh, he starts telling her about these strange dreams he's been having where he was an adventurer and he was off on an adventure with Martha, but ha, it's just a dream. Nothing to worry about. Uh, and it is a phenomenal opening to this episode. It grips you immediately. Oh yeah, usually episodes open up on somebody not the doctor, usually it's just some girl in the woods and getting attacked. Monster attacks and she goes, ah! Yeah. yeah. But here it's just the doctor immediately in action. It starts off with a bang, and yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a perfect setup. It it really is, and then also also on the fruit bowl there are pears. What what did the doctor say to Martha? No pears. He hates wow. pears. Wow. Which I don't so understand she... how uh, pears are my favorite fruit. I don't understand how anybody could hate them. They're the best. I like pears a lot. It's just the texture of I pears. I love them. I love them. They are. They are my hands down. I could eat them at any time. Best fruit. The, tex- the texture just feels like dirt. I love the texture, man. Uh, but uh, to be fair, I eat dirt all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Something you are known for doing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just go out with a spoon. Uh, you know, lovely. you know. Last week we we recorded our podcast. We in a video feed. Mm-hmm. He was just Matthew was eating dirt <laughs> the entire time. That's why we didn't share a video for it. <laughs> It was just so disgusting. I just love eating dirt. Uh, (laughs) But we then get our our intro, and this is, of course, David Tennant's intro with the giant golden surfboard thing that we're not really sure what the logo is supposed to represent. (laughs) We will find out one day what that is meant to be. And when we get Russell on the phone. Yeah, yeah, when we get him on the get him on get him on the show. Why not? We'll replace you, be the new <laughs> weekly host. Um and we open up to the episode and we're we open to this lovely establishing shot of this giant big uh boarding school that they're at with kids marching. It's very military militarized this school. Uh which I don't know if it's a military school, but they teach a lot of military disciplines. Maybe it was just the style at the time. And in in the book, it definitely is military school. Okay, okay. In well, the book, it's also there's also a lot more blood and gore with boys being just murdered left, right, and center. It's exploding head at one point. It's great. <laughs> interesting. Um, but we we follow through the doctor as he's walking through, and we find out that he is a teacher, and we see him teaching English class or history, probably one. I think it's maybe history he teaches because he's a time traveler, and that would be funny. He's um, also speaking about Napoleon. I don't think yeah. Napoleon would be talked about in English. Uh, you never know. Unless, unless it's a novelization of yeah. Napoleon. Exactly. As a exactly. He's talking about Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but also as we're going through this, there's a hymn playing, and one of the lines in the hymn is "Follow the Master," which was chosen by Russell T. Davis probably because 
you know, the master. Uh, that's Yeah, you know, the Doctor follows the master into the end of the world, and uh, that's the big reveal. It's, it's very, very nice little subtle foreshadowing, isn't it? Um, but we then go with Martha and her little friend, who definitely won't turn into somebody evil later on, as they're scrubbing the floors, and they're just having this wee chit-chatty conversation about how David Tennant, or John Smith in this case, seems to be a bit, like, airheaded and just kind of headway in the clouds as they're scrubbing away at the floor and she asks martha why are you so nice to that dude and she's like well he's you know one of the only people that are nice to me because of you know my skin color which they turn into a joke about being from london but that's something i really always enjoyed with martha is like every time they travel back in the past martha's main concern is hey i'm black and the doctor's like what do you mean what's the problem (laughs) yeah some of the boys even go up to her in this scene mm-hmm. and just it, outright racist towards her, which yeah. isn't as racist as real life. Because mm-hmm. if, it, you know, Doctor explored real life racism in this way, that would be horrifying for a kid's show. Yeah, but it's, it's, a, it, it's the right amount, I would say. Yeah, it definitely lets you know that they're not shying away from it, you know. Um, and they even it's the same in the Shakespeare Code. That one's got a really interesting take on it from what i remember because martha was traveling back and she's like hey is this not gonna be a problem me in london you know my skin color and stuff like that and the doctor's like no what are you talking about don't always just you know history's been whitewashed and then it opens up the door and you see like this multicultural london which it would have been at the time whether or not everybody would have been treated as nicely as what martha gets treated we don't want to talk about that part but uh <laughs> you know it does this interesting look uh throughout history that we don't often see with time travel shows but Matthew, that sounds woke. And Doctor Who wasn't woke before Chibnall. You're you're exactly right. Um, I take back everything I said. <laughs> that never happened. Uh, <laughs> we then follow John Smith as he is carrying some books and almost drops them in this meet-cute style to Lady from Space, whose name I don't know. Uh, she's a very uh, famous British actor lady. Jessica Hines. Jessica Hines. Uh, Although who... I, think, I think she's credited as something else here because it was before she was married. I can't remember mm. her of her name but okay. jessica hines okay or maybe um, she, she, maybe she was jessica hines and she is something else now i i do not know who <laughs> who can knows but yeah he bumps into jessica hines who's absolutely wonderful in this and she's wonderful in everything i've seen her in if you've not watched space which was space which was edgar wright and simon Pegg's tv show on channel four before they got into doing movies you definitely should it is phenomenal um she's mainly in this show because she was friends with russell t davis she was on a previous show with him called bob and rose which i've never seen but of course bob and rose is yeah exactly (laughs) that's where the name rose basically came from but yeah she she was begging russell to get a job on doctor for years and obviously Uh, it paid off it did very well so very well um uh she bumps into to to john smith and they start kind of flirting with one another or rather she's flirting with him and he's a bumbling idiot uh as they like she offers to carry the books and walk there and then she not so subtly is like oh there's a dance going on by the way nobody's asked me yet are you going hint 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 and then the doctor uh starts stammering like a buffoon and then falls down the stairs uh (laughs) As as ridiculous as, you know, uh, John Smith, David Tennant's reaction to it is, I really fall for the rom-com segments of this. Like, the, I really love the story of John Smith and... Oh my god, what's their character's name? 
Nurse Joan, Joan yes, uh, of of John and Joan, uh, their their romance, and it, it plays into the next episode that tragedy even more, where he sees their potential life together, you know, and he has to choose to go to not take it. Whereas like these two are just amazing together, and the Doctor would live out this lovely happy life. It's it's, you know, it's it's Russell T Davis just punching you in the heart again. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's the highlight of both the book and the TV series. It's just the relationship between John and Joan. It's it's perfect. It's it's awkward. It's it's very interesting just to see the Doctor as a new, as a new person basically. Like the, the, David Tennant, David Tennant approaches John Smith as a brand new character, and it really pays off because watching this as a kid, I was like, holy shit. David Tennant is such a good actor. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I, I only knew him as the Doctor, but watching this, I'm like, yeah, he's he's a great actor in general. He is a, a phenomenal actor. Um, and what I really like about the John and Joan romance is the very first scene, you fall for them both. You're like, oh, you guys yeah. are great together. I want to see you guys get together. You know, knowing in your head that that can never happen because obviously John Smith is the Doctor and there's, you know it's going to end tragically, but you, despite that fact, you still want them to get together. Uh, and that just plays into how well it is written. Uh, after the Doctor falls down the stairs, we cut to him getting his head treated by Joan because she is the school nurse. And Martha comes rushing in uh, and she's like, oh my God, are you okay? Because Martha is a doctor or doctor trainee or whatever, um, yeah. if I remember correctly. Uh, and so she's like, did you check for a concussion, blah, blah, blah. And then Joan's like, shut up. Uh, yeah, of course I did. You are the cleaner. What do you know about anything? Uh, and kind of puts her in her place, which is kind of what happens to Martha a lot in this episode is people just talk down to her and she just has to swallow it because she's been tasked with this awful job of looking after the doctor in 1913. Yeah. Like, I can't I can't imagine being Martha, being like any other time period in the future could have been perfect for her. Her, you know like 2055 or something mm -hmm. yeah no <laughs> the, the doctor was like 1913 that'll be fine right <laughs> like, <laughs> like even on an alien planet that also has humans without racism you know yeah yeah it'll be imperfect but <laughs> such a strange choice um but then the doctor and joan continue flirting a bit more as uh the doctor slash john uh starts talking about these these dreams he's been having and how he's been writing them down and oh you wouldn't be interested in that would you uh but of course joan was like oh but i am interested in that and then he starts showing her this notebook where he writes down all of his story ideas and we see like extremely well etched drawings of daleks and cybermen and of course we see all the doctor's faces drawn as well with the best doctor number eight Slap bang in the middle there, Paul McGann. That's the boy. Um, yeah, this was the first time in Modern Who that all the Doctors were seen on screen. So that mm -hmm. was pretty important. Also, in the book, the Doctor... Uh, sorry, John Smith is still writing little stories about being a Time Lord and all that. But uh, apparently Stephen Moffat wrote those little stories in the book, which is crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, but it's it's that's that's fun. Stephen Moffat just loves writing little weird Doctor Who things, doesn't he? <laughs> um, after that, the we Joan leaves and Martha follows her as Martha wants to make sure to Joan that the stories are just fiction, which to me seems almost just like a really strange thing to do. I know she's worried about the Doctor and that, and they're yeah. getting chased by these aliens, but why in whatever world would Joan be reading this and be like, "Oh my God, this is fact." Yeah. <laughs> you know? like like fair enough later on when there's a strange occurrence happening and mm -hmm. the townsfolk are like what's going on there's aliens mm -hmm. like maybe go to john and be like no it's not aliens it's r ridiculous it's not related to J john smith yeah yeah but it, it just seems kind of weird to, to bring it up now when there's no reason to and then joan again puts martha back in her place where she's like you're way too familiar with john stop being you know remember your place in this house 
type deal where it's just Martha just eating dirt. As much as I love it, she clearly doesn't, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, on Twitter a while ago, there was a lot of discourse about this episode, and it was about the Doctor basically just re- dating a racist. <laughs> and how that's a bad thing for the Doctor to do. But in this, obviously here, he he's born in like 19 yeah i'm uh, sorry 1880 yeah he he doesn't know any better this is a, a societal thing like. i also i i i you know as much as joan perhaps is racist i don't think it ever comes across as that i think it comes across more as classist than yeah. anything you know because this is the cleaner and he is a teacher and the two must never you know be so informal to one another they're in a very formal setting it's a very you know uh uppity time uh that this extreme you know they're in a, a very rich looking boarding school so everybody has to be proper and she probably was racist as well let's be fair it's 1913 but <laughs> like, yeah. like in in the book one of the things benny has an objection about is but the doctor is just basically dating a racist 60 year old in the book <laughs> she's like 60 by the way wow Although, I mean, it was like, what, the eighth doctor or the seventh doctor in the book? Seventh doctor, So yeah, he's so, an old man anyway, yeah. you know? He, he, he was like, what, 50? 55? Yeah. 50 so, odd, yeah. Yeah. Um, we then cut to our B story with the young boy whose name I don't remember. Um, Timothy. Timothy, but he is played by extremely famous actor whose face you know but name you don't, uh, who's been in all sorts of movies. Uh, do you Do you have his real human name? I um, I don't know. I I looked it up earlier, but I don't have it in front of me at the moment. Oh uh, well, let's find out, shall we? But he um, he's been in Game of Thrones along with the other guy in the scene. He's also been in Phineas and Ferb as the voice of Ferb, which is where I recognize him most from. Thomas Brody Sankster was born in 1990. He is 32 years old. He is known for such movies as he the does. Mo- he, he does not look seventeen in this episode. <laughs> he looks ten, doesn't he? I know. <laughs> you know, it's he like, looks the exact same now at thirty-two. He looks later the exact on. Same. Later on, when we have like flash forwards with him in war, it's like I, I was sitting there wondering why he was in the war because I thought he was like twelve or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he is extremely youthful and still is. Uh, he's in. He's the main kid from Nanny McPhee. Uh, Jesus he, he, he was like 18 when he did that you know <laughs> um he's he just most recently was in the disney plus show pistol about the sex pistols which oh. he, he plays like their manager and he, he looks 12 still <laughs> uh, like you don't look like a manager you look like a little boy uh he was of he's, course in Game star of wars episode 7 as well yes he has a cameo in star wars episode 7 as man that gets blown up on um the planet place death uh, the star killer um flip planet place <laughs> yeah uh but yeah he's he's in all sorts of little british films if you're in britain you'll have definitely seen his face if you're if you're not in britain uh you'll probably know him best from game of thrones or maybe and phineas and ferb and but yeah phineas and ferb you'll know his, ever you'll know his face from phineas and ferb exactly you'll know right. his voice yeah but, it's a very yeah, distinct voice he is uh, cursed with eternal youth <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, in this scene, we re- we find out that he's getting picked on by the two older, I say older boys, I think they're all supposed to be the same age, by the two boys, uh, uh, the two larger boys, and they're like, do my homework for me, ha ha ha, and they kind of talk down to him. And then the other one uh, that's there is like, I'm, I'm going to go out to get to steal some beer. Uh, and they're like, okay, go steal that beer, but don't bring it back for, for this little nerd here. Ha 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 ha. Uh, it's just set up that this guy's having a bad time in school, basically. Yeah. 
as as said before, in the book he in the books he basically just gets beat up all the time and he also gets hung by the boys, which I'm glad we didn't adapt into the show. But they were going to write it as oh yeah, he's still getting beat up in the show, which they had to tone down, which mm-hmm. makes sense. It's Saturday night and kids are watching. We don't want to be reminded of being bullied. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. So our episode continues with Martha and her mate sitting outside the pub, where we also get some 1930s, 1913s, uh, 1900s, I guess, 1910s. There you go. Uh, shenanigans with uh, Martha being like, God, it's so cold. Can't we sit inside? And her mate being like, are you dumb? We're the cleaners. We sit outside. It's more of that classism that we all seem to enjoy so much. Um, And while this is happening, uh, we cut to Joan, who's out for a lovely stroll in the woods at night, as uh, one is wont to be. Uh, And she gets scanned by a giant green beam uh, that continues to scan across the fields. And she's like, that was a bit strange uh and then she comes running back and is also at the pub she gets there very quickly don't worry too much about that uh just as uh john smith comes out of the pub uh everybody's together look at this wonderful and they're the only people outside Uh, very convenient it's a very small town (laughs) (laughs) um and Joan is like, I just saw something really strange, this giant light uh, in the woods. And then just so happens a uh, asteroid or a meteorite even flies overhead or what supposedly looks like a meteorite. Uh, and John Smith rather pedantically goes, ah, yes, that is what we call a meteorite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, mansplains it to them a bit. Um and Joan's like, Where? it looks like it landed so close. And uh, John Smith dismisses this by being like, no, 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 they look close, but really they're miles and miles and miles and miles away. Nothing to worry about. Just burn up in dust. Um, and they, they go, he escorts her back. Uh, meanwhile, Martha and that are like, no, nah, we don't want to go back with you, John Smith. And then Martha goes darting off into the woods after he leaves. Um, we then cut to our, our side villain dude who's called Baines, isn't he? Jeremy I think Baines. So, yeah. yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Uh, and he's one of the bullies of the the wee boy who's actually 17, and I think he's a phenomenal actor. I really like his performance in these two episodes. I think he manages being really creepy and sinister excellently. He's got the perfect face for it. Yes, he is a great actor. (laughs) And it's a shame. I've not seen him in anything else. I don't know what he's doing these days, you know? Well, Um, you can look it up. No. (laughs) Yes. He was in Game of Thrones, as we've said before. I do not know who he was in Game of Thrones. He was Viserys Targaryen. He, he was, was a Targaryen. In five episodes. He was, he was tar- nominated for. Oh a my God, Award. that's him! Okay, he's in season one then, as uh, he gets he gets his head covered in in a golden molten gold, uh, in season one and dies. He is he's very Victor. good. Victor. He is Victor in um, Arcane. Oh, okay. You, you watched okay. that show. I did. Yeah, I did see Arcane. Well, I'm um, glad he's he was... still doing work. He's still very yeah. good. Yeah. He's he is he's very good in Game of Thrones. He plays a, a sinister wee villain for those first few episodes before Daenerys takes over uh, when he dies. Uh, I know Game of Thrones. Best show ever. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's that's fun. Also, that makes it two people in Doctor Who that have gone off to play Targaryens because Matt Smith is playing a Targaryen as well in the new Game of oh, Thrones yeah. spinoff. So, which, which stri- I I don't know if I want to watch or not. I, I want to watch it. I want to watch it because of Matt Smith, but I don't want to watch it because I don't want to watch Game of Thrones. 
Why? It's pretty decent. It's a I've well... only seen season one, and I didn't. I did not like it that much. Wow, you Sorry have the worst say. taste in things. <laughs> uh, I I'll watch it. I really enjoyed those first several seasons of Game of Thrones until the the very end there. Uh, but anyway, uh, Baines is walking through the woods to collect beer when he sees the green meteorite up ahead. Uh, except it looks like it lands, uh, and so he's like, "Oh, this is very strange." And he starts walking up, and he's extremely British as he's walking up. He's like, "I say hello," uh, as he's going up, which is, you know, he didn't just say hello. He goes, "I say hello." Uh, it's <laughs> the most British thing. And he's like, "Are you chaps okay?" Uh, as he's continuing up, and he walks headfirst into an invisible ship. Uh, what do you think of these effects of the invisible ship as he mm. kind of caresses it? Not the best. I def- definitely dated. I think yes. it's it's still it's a cool idea in some of the shots where like he's like puts his hand through something and then you're looking at it through two layers so it changes color. Uh, I think that stuff's really cool. Remember at the time it looking pretty good. Um, it's, it's just you know it's two early two thousands TV CGI. Yeah. It, it's not the best, but it doesn't take me out of it. I don't think it it's supposed to look impressive, so I don't yeah. really care about the special effects now looking the best. It does its job, but uh, he finds the doorway into this invisible ship and he walks inside it, just as uh, Martha and her mate show up and they just see the empty field. Uh, I, I, look I, at that convenient timing. I do wonder what this episode would have been like if Martha just walks up five seconds before. Uh, it would have been she wakes the doctor up and then they would fight the aliens and run away to a different time period. <laughs> yeah, we should we that should that would be a better episode, you know. It'd be uh, yeah. over in like twenty minutes. Yeah, where nothing happens and then it just ends. <laughs> uh, be like Nobody a, gets a character arc. Be like a it's classic great. who episode. Um, <laughs> but uh, as they they walk away defeated, uh, we then cut to Bane's inside the ship, and it's kind of like a horror movie where Bane's is sitting there curled up in a ball, scared, and he's like, uh, "May I leave?" Uh, you know, <laughs> you know as, as the aliens are talking very sinister to him, and they're like, "No, you're never going to leave again. We are we are going to turn into you, basically." And he, you know, he's like, "I want to see what you look like," uh, and then he lets out this awesome scream. Uh, which, you know, you never really see what the alien's true form looks like, which just makes them look even scarier because you're left to imagine what yeah. what he's screaming at, you know? In my head, I don't think they have a true form. They're just kind of invisible up until the point where they take a body. That's my mm. imagination anyway. Mm, okay, okay. But also, I... uh, the design of this spaceship is awesome. It kind of reminds me of like an evil TARDIS, like a, yeah. like a green TARDIS. But yeah, it's it's very cool, very goopy looking, which is I always imagine the aliens uh, kind of like the Pokemon Ditto, you know, this weird goopy thing that can shapeshift. Um, sure, I know Pokemon. It's the best. Po- <laughs> it's, it's the best Pokemon. Uh, I, I I love Pokemon. It's the best. We then cut to <laughs> uh, back to our teenage boys who are playing cards while the really young looking one is polishing shoes. And they're like, God, where's Baines? He said he'd come back with beer. And then Baines comes back, but without beer and acting very, very sinister. And they're like, where's the beer, boy? And he's like, oh, there was no beer. Uh, and they, then they just kind of like, oh, well, let's go to bed. That's the end of the scene. Ha ha ha. Where Baines yeah. keeps like sniffing and being all sinister and weird. It's very good. He He's shot with a fish, ang- fish eye lens, which is really creepy and also he doesn't blink none of that none of the family blinks which is that's really great, creepy great little detail isn't it that's yes a, it's, a, it's it's very creepy <laughs> I, I was scared shitless 
as a kid watching these performances yeah, I, his performance specifically like like the lady is okay the little girl's fine the old guy i'm like whatever it's his performance that stands yeah. out uh as the the creepiest one uh, we then get Martha rocking up to the TARDIS, which is hiding in a shed. And this is where we just get a huge exposition dump through the uh, means of a flashback where the doctor's like, I need to change my DNA. I need to become human, you know, and this big machine I'm going to put in my head is going to do that. And it's going to hurt like hell. Uh, and then he like starts screaming, uh, which I remember as a kid being being pretty terrifying uh, just because yeah. it's those quick cuts and a close up of the doctor just shaking as he's like screaming his lungs out uh it's it's pretty visceral i would it, it's it. kind of terrifying in the episode but when you watch behind the scenes footage of just david Tennant screaming for no reason it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah there's a, a point where the doctor is like oh yeah it hurts like hell which makes me think but he's done it before which makes me think so paul cornell kind of makes the old human nature canon in a way by just basically being like there is no canon to Doctor Who. It doesn't matter. It just keeps happening for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it does just keep happening. Um, we then get even more exposition as Martha then puts on a DVD of the Doctor, talking to it a la Blink style, uh, where he's talking to the camera and he's like, here's a bunch of rules I need you to follow. You know, Don't let me yeah. uh, hurt anybody. Don't let me change history in any way, etc., etc." Uh, she fast forwards it and she start, he starts talking a heap um, before. For f- three weeks in a row, we basically just saw the Doctor on screen just talking <laughs> in a DVD. <laughs> yeah. Because Blink is only two weeks away from this episode, which is wild. That's yeah. That's very strange. Um, very very strange. But also, that, you can hunt down the full clip online, and basically, David Tennant's like, "Oh, I have to ramble for a minute now, so I'm just going to talk about this really good gig I went to when I was a teenager." <laughs> and basically, the band broke up like a few weeks after. Might have been something to do with the gig. I'm not sure. <laughs> it is. It is worth worth looking out for that that clip because David Tennant rambling about nonsense is it's it's pretty great. It's working. Martha, before I change, here's a list of instructions for when I'm human. One, don't let me hurt anyone. We can't have that, but you know what humans are like. Two, don't worry about the TARDIS. I'll put it on emergency power so they can't detect it. Just let it hide away. Four, no. Wait a minute. Three, no getting involved in big historical events. Four, you. Don't let me abandon you. And five, very important, five, don't let me eat pears. I hate pears. John Smith is a character I made up, but I won't know that. I'll think I am him, and he might do something stupid like eat a pear. In three months, I don't want to wake up from being human and taste that. And six, now I have to talk for around about a minute without hesitation, deviation, or whatever the other thing is. It's like that panel game on Channel 4, like Rory just pointed out. However, I'm going to move on and say number seven and talk about my other favourite band, which is the House Martins. I don't know if anyone remembers the House Martins, but the best gig I ever went to was at the Scottish Exhibition and Conference Centre in about December. It must have been 1990, and the House Martins were playing. And it was quite simply the best gig I've ever been to. They split up quite soon afterwards. I don't know what that tells you about that particular event. I'm sitting in the TARDIS now, and I'm going to wind up but not before I make a few strange noises with my mouth that will go somewhere along the lines of bingle bongle, dingle dangle, yickety doo, yickety da, ping pong, lippy tappy too ta. And 23, if anything goes wrong, if they find us, Martha, then you know what to do. Uh, you know, Martha's kind of grieving over the doctor, but this, there's a scene later on, I think maybe in the next episode, where Martha's going over the rules and she's like, you thought of everything except what to do if you fell in love with somebody, of course, you know, which plays into the doctor's naivety uh, a bit, which I, I very much enjoy. Um, 
but also no. one of the rules which is on screen is don't eat pears i mean the next scene he's eating a pear which is <laughs> you had one you had basically one job martha don't feed him pears they're the best fruit they're they really s- aren't so good i ate a pear today i they're, they're so young i can't remember the last time i had a pear Wow. Maybe I'll have a pair of pears, you know? You should. I could eat them <laughs> non-stop. They're wonderful. Uh, Go on, man. I, we don't have any in the house. I ate them. Because uh, they <laughs> are delicious. non-stop. Yeah, because they're delicious. The episode continues with a chap at John Smith's door where our wee boy, who's definitely 17 and not 10, <laughs> uh, is there to pick up a book. And John Smith forgets who, why he's there for a minute in a very uh, doctor-esque mannerism, I thought, where he's like, the book. Oh, yes. Uh, where I was like, oh, it's just the David, the doctor coming through on this John Smith performance. The David. Um, <laughs> the David. It is the David. Um <laughs> As he's uh, t- invites him in and starts searching around for the book, and there's something we need to mention here that we've not mentioned before, uh, that has come up and we just kind of skipped over. It. This boy kind of has psychic powers, where he can kind of see glimpses into the future or like events that have happened. Uh, it's never really fully explained what it is. It's just kind of like hinted at s- as it's psychic. Yeah, it, I think it might just be the watch kind of calling to him. I don't know because he mentions earlier when he's chatting with the boys how he sometimes he just can guess really well and he knows things when he's talking about that that guy's dad in Africa. You know? I think it just might still be the watch like calling to him, kind of showing the future, kind of from another room. Maybe I don't know. I don't really know what's going on I, here. I, I always just took it as he's got like psychic powers, which we know is canon in Doctor Who. Psychics exist in in, yeah. in Doctor Who. Because in the um, book, I think the guy has had the ball for quite a while. So if we start off with him just having the ball and just having the doctor's kind of energy directed towards him, which is why he knows the future and shit like that. Yeah, interesting. Uh, but anyway, he gets invited in as the doctor goes looking for this book. And uh, the boy gets distracted by the watch and opens up and he starts hearing all this stuff and having flashbacks about David Tennant as the doctor. Uh, Meanwhile, John Smith is talking about, uh, he's saying something very on the nose. What was it exactly? Where he's like, God, what was his exact wording? I thought it was so on the nose. Uh, Pretending to be somebody else. You know, he's like, you know, you're really smart and it's it's wise to keep your head down and, uh, you know, not gather the attention of other people but you know you shouldn't really pretend to be somebody you're not ha 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 exactly what john smith is doing do you do you, yeah. under, do you understand the irony very very funny. i don't know uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the boy is a little thief and he steals the watch and we then cut to him later on looking at it and opening it again uh in his bedroom and every time he opens it bane's uh like sniffs and he gets like a, oh my god the the doctor's here i can kind of sense that he's here it's this weird misty feeling of the doctor uh, and then as the school day is commencing and people are going to their class, Bane slips off into a corner and FaceTimes the rest of his other alien mates. And he's like, the doctor's definitely here. We just need to find him. Let's activate the troops, he says, which basically turns all the scarecrows alive. And I love the scarecrow design so much. It is oh, one yeah. that has burned into my brain as like an iconic little side villain that never really do anything. Uh, so much um, so in that their, the, even their performance is a performance that I used as direction in a short film. A uh, short film I made called uh, The Truth Is Out There, available at youtube.com slash mess youtube, a short film I'm very proud of. Uh, there's a moment in that 
where Ewan has to uh, like act in a certain way. And my direction to him there was, do you remember the scarecrows from the episode of Doctor Who? I want you to move exactly <laughs> like that, you know, because the, the way that they move is so creepy and disjointed. Yeah. I think it's absolutely perfect. Um, so in the book, there is no scarecrows. This was a suggestion by uh, Russell T. Davis to just add something more supernatural into it, which originally the concept was it was going to be robots, which wouldn't make any sense in this episode. Yeah, the scarecrows but, fit the, the era much more appropriately. Yeah, and and the location. It's like something so ordinary turned into the supernatural. That's what's scary about Doctor Who. You know, in two weeks' time, we have statues coming to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's you know, you can just imagine kids just driving by in their car, driving and buying their cars, because <laughs> that's what kids do. <laughs> and seeing a scarecrow out the window and being like, "Oh my god, a scarecrow!" But yeah, it is so creepy. Just silent henchmen for these villains. Yeah, I tell you what's interesting. Thinking about it, is there are three episodes basically back to back with Human Nature, Family of Blood, and Blink, where the Doctor is basically not there. Yeah, you know, like that's such strange pacing to me where it didn't it doesn't feel weird watching it back where you're like oh i've not seen the doctor in ages because those are like three amazing episodes but it's just strange that they would clump them all together you also know, they... we, we've covered like i don't know how many 10th doctor episodes we've only covered one proper 10th doctor episode which is <laughs> school reunion i think it was because we've covered these two episodes where he's not the doctor we've covered blink where he's only in it for like a minute we've covered um turn left he's only in it for like a minute yeah and we've covered um the 50th anniversary which he's a guest star so we've only covered one proper 10th doctor episode interesting and we've covered a lot of david Tennant episodes uh but as the scarecrow uh, we we see the other people that are getting kidnapped one of them is this farmer guy uh who gets captured by the scarecrows the other is a little girl with a red balloon where you said that there's a modern day truck visible i did not see it uh i'm not in that scene but as the boys are shooting you'll see a modern day truck in the background as the the boys are shooting oh yeah driving way off in the distance yeah Uh, i mean you can barely make out what it is it could just be a little white bus you know uh (laughs) but there's a little girl that gets taken um and I don't think that the lady gets taken yet, if I'm remembering correctly. No, I think I think uh, it's a bit later on. Yeah, uh, Martha's um, friend. Yeah, uh, spoilers. Uh, then we cut to the boys tra- training uh, to shoot people, and we get uh, some more lovely 1930s, 1913 racism uh, from the headmaster, which was re- really lovely. Where he says that they're going to the uh, dark continent to fight the the the. Does, I don't think he actually uses the term savages, but you know, basically, yeah. basically that's what he's implying. The headmaster is, of course, um, the guy from Preacher who plays her star. He's brilliant in Preacher. Um, he at one point he's he's a bald man in the show, and at one point he has like a head wound, but kind of goes into the center, and he kind of looks like a dickhead, and everybody makes fun of him for it. It's great. It's a show I've been meaning to watch. I'll get around to it. Uh, too many shows I'm watching at the moment. I'm trying and to it's also them. from the creators of, from The Boys, you know? Yeah. I just mentioned The Boys earlier on. I still need to see about season final. Uh, Seth Rogen, what a producer. Um, we, uh, As the boys are shooting, our little 17-year-old, who's definitely not 10, is like kind of like failing at his job because he keeps getting distracted by stuff. And he's having these flash-forwards into the war, uh, World War One, of course, if you didn't realize uh, 1913 is one year before 1914 when World War One starts. Uh, and he's, he's, he's seeing visions of his death with the guy that he's next to where a bomb basically lands on their head, uh, which is causing him to freeze up. And the guy's like, hey, do we have permission to beat this dude up? And John Smith's like, absolutely. Absolutely. 
beat the crap out of that boy. Uh, and they, they take him off to a tent. Meanwhile, Baines kind of sniffs David Tennant, which, I mean, fair dues. He's right next to you. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and everybody just kind of kind of dissipates. This is just really a scene showing more of the the, the kid's psychic abilities and seeing into the future. Yeah. Um, we then cut to uh, John Smith and Joan having a lovely stroll through the streets uh, where they're like, hey, you know, war is not really needed to show a man what, what worth a man is. That's kind of maybe an outdated fashion uh, and stuff like that. And then we get into like a cartoon segment. I, you know, it's uh, where people are pulling a piano and there's a baby strolling yeah. by. And, you know, I, I had just read the book when I was watching this and they cut to the guy, uh, Timothy being beat up by kids because David Tennant allows it. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to this rope and I'm like, Wait, we didn't have it hanging in this show, did we? That was dark, but obviously it's a piano. <laughs> yeah, it's the piano that's going to fall on the baby, and uh, John Smith throws a cricket ball and like it sets off this contraption of events where the baby gets saved, and he's like run off adrenaline. Then he finally asks Joan to go to the dance with him, uh, and it's lovely. It's a bit cartoonish for me this yeah. scene. Um, and the entire time, I could only think of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. They have an amazing episode called Hero or Hate Crime about a piano that is gonna that falls uh i don't want to say anymore because they're it, it's it centers around the use of a slur it's absolutely amazing which, one, which slur the f word uh fuck n- no uh which, which one it's it's a type of food here in the uk fudge no see if you can guess it it's derogatory to gay people say it <laughs> i'm not you i'm not gonna say a slur on the show you will never get me to uh i've given enough context clues to to ask what it is i'm joking uh, it's an absolutely absolutely brilliant episode yeah. of it's always sunny one of my favorites but yeah this scene is a bit cartoony i'm not really a fan of it but apparently it was the hardest scene to shoot and no wonder it's yeah, a real piano and shit there's so many stuff got so much stuff going on like coordinating that would be a nightmare yeah um, I, I can't imagine, but yeah, um, it's it's a fun little scene, just a cartoon scene, you know. It'd be yeah. a lot easier just to have a doctor run and stop the baby from moving. Yeah, I, I don't. But he throws a cricket ball, which reminded me of the th- second Hitchhiker's book, maybe the third Hitchhiker's book, where he saves the day against the aliens called the cricket by throwing a cricket ball. Uh, it it it's, is. It, dumb book it, that one it reminds me of a book doctor who human nature where his memory is stored in the ball, ball yeah um we then cut to joan and john smith having a stroll through some fields where they fix up a scarecrow which you say looks green screen to me it looks fine uh i don't i don't really see the green screen yes ness on you know off it but it looks it looks all right to me, uh, but this is just more of their flirting, really back and forth, where they're kind of talking about their origins and like where they're from. And uh, David Tennant's not really got the clearest of answers. I think he's he says, uh, is it does he say Ireland or does she say Ireland? One of them say Ireland. One of them um, says Ireland because I, th- oh, I think David Tennant. He says Gallifrey. he's from Gallifrey, and yeah. she's like, "Oh, you're Irish," <laughs> which is directly from the book. But he's also saying he's from England, which in the book he's from Aberdeen. Oh, which yeah, which lovely. David Tennant was David Tennant didn't want his character to be from Aberdeen because he didn't want to do a Scottish accent. He wanted to keep doing that English accent he puts on, which is. <sighs> 
I, I yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, you know, David Tennant's Scottish. Just it would be lovely to actually hear his Scottish accent and to have him say he's from Aberdeen. That would have made my little child heart leap with joy. Yeah, at I, age seven, I, I, you know? It would have been amazing. I'd be like, oh my god, I know where Aberdeen is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would have been absolutely awesome. But unfortunately, also, um, John John Smith said his parents are also Sydney and Verity, who were the creators of a show, obviously, which ah. is a perfect little bit. Yeah, nice little uh, Easter egg. I think in the book, Verity is also the name of John Smith's ex-wife who died, which is also a nice little touch. Yeah. So the episode continues uh, with John and Jones flirting. Uh, it's basically back-to-back flirting scenes with them. And this is the one where he's drawing Joan. Uh, and he's like, oh, you're so pretty. Mwah, kisses. Uh, paint, and, and she says, paint me like one of your French girls. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, and Martha walks in on them. And then he shouts at her. And she runs off back to the TARDIS. And this is the scene I was talking about before where she's like, you never said anything about falling in love with a woman, Dr. Gah. Why didn't you fall in love with me? Uh, which is Martha's worst trait is uh, desperately in love with the doctor. It's my least yeah. favorite thing about her because she's so cool otherwise. like. Yeah. Um, as a kid, I almost hated Martha because she was a replacement for Rose. Like It was my first companion loss. And the fact that the concert reminded you that she isn't Rose made her so much worse because she's constantly thinking about rose like oh my god i'm not rose i'm not oh yeah you don't I'll, love me you'll doctor. never you'll never like me as much as you liked rose you know i'll never fill those shoes this real like uh imposter syndrome in her where she never felt like she she yeah. she belonged where she was and she had this obsession with the doctor but, but as you a, know he, as a here, kid you yeah. know i was seven i never really picked up on that i liked martha i thought she was fun uh and i like i, I her ending is weird um, you know, where she she goes off and she becomes this badass, which is really cool, but they pair her up with Mickey uh, out of nowhere, and like it's like, yeah. these two didn't have a relationship, but there's only one real common factor about those two being together. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, other than that, I really, I do like Martha as a companion. Yeah, I like Martha too, but just the whole thing about Rose, which luckily isn't in this episode too much. It's only like one or two scenes out of a whole two-parter. Mm-hmm. And Martha is a really strong character overall in this two-parter. She's, she's, you believe at the end of the season when she goes off and saves a world on her own, you believe that Martha does that because of these two episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. But also, in, in the book, Benny has a similar reaction to the Doctor potentially find in love but it's because she doesn't want to be in 1914 because it's such sh- shitty year and yeah. she's and she just doesn't want to settle down she wants to keep traveling in the tardis which the doctor wouldn't do obviously if he th- remains john smith yeah uh meanwhile 17 year old boy sees um uh what's his name benny is that his name benny hill yes yeah what was his name was it benny? i don't know the really good actor man uh baines baines that was it baines uh baines the farmer and the little girl meet up on the street and he's like oh that's a weird triplet to have and then we see uh martha's friend cycling down the street and she gets stopped by the scarecrows she screams gets kidnapped and is taken to this ship where we do actually see what the aliens look like me and you both forgot about this uh where they are just smoke creatures which is uh boring i much prefer in my head they were always goopy guys i forget about this smoke scene uh terrible cgi smoke as well yeah yeah it's (laughs) really i think it's better left to the imagination than it is uh just left in the open 
But here we get to hear. Uh, here we get to find out about very like naming conventions. Oh yeah, mother of mine, father of mine, son of mine, etc. Which is from Russell T. Davis because in the book they were just called like one of them was called August, and it's like you just said that. They, yeah. they weren't as interesting in the book, but here it makes them more creepier. Yeah, I think you know, son of mine, mother of mine, father. It's terrifying. It's just this really creepy way of talking, uh, which all gets sold by uh, Baines. He's uh, f- just on fire in these two episodes. He's so good, you know. It, yeah. it's, it's like over the top and cartoonish, but not too far. Uh, yeah. He he strides that line perfectly. And I don't care about it, it being a bit over top because he's an alien. You yeah, know? pretending it, it, to be it, human. Yeah, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, we cut back to Martha, who's got the best looking cake I've ever seen and some tea, uh, as, uh, her best friend, who's now an alien, comes back and she's like, hey, do you want to have some tea? And Martha pretty much quickly susses out that, uh, she's not herself and that she's an alien when she starts asking her, like, do you want sardines and jam with your tea or maybe, uh, some, some mutton, uh, mixed in the water, uh, which the alien's like, yeah, that sounds lovely. And Martha's like, cool, you're an alien, bye. Uh, and uh, she... Be- be- before that scene, we have a scene with uh, the Doctor and Joan just doing more kissy-kissy kind of scenes. But it immediately cuts to Martha's friend kicking in the door and it's like, oh shit, they found the Doctor. It's a really great misdirect in that moment. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, Martha then gets shot at through the window. Uh, by their alien handgun that they've got. The episode quickly turns into a sci-fi thriller uh, this last few minutes. Uh, the, the design of the guns looks really cheap to me. Like, it looks like a little toy. The know? design of the gun is supposed to indicate that there's, like, a creature inside of it. It's, like, sentient, the gun. Ah. Which I don't, I don't really understand. In the book, the, like, the red balloon is kind of like a per- person, kind of. And they've goes off and like tries to attack Tim and tries to eat him or whatever I don't really understand what's going on but yeah that's a thing in the books also in the book this reminds me of a scene where um, Benny finds out tries to indicate that somebody is not to be pretend to be in the book, there's a scene where the tenth Doctor wanders up to Benny and is like, "Oh my God, this is this is from the past," and this is the Doctor must have just like prete- started pretending to be human. And Benny figures out that it's not the Tenth Doctor because the Doctor is vegan and the fake Tenth Doctor says he eats meat. So that's how he, that's how they indicate that the Tenth Doctor is one of the family. Interesting. It's interesting that it's the Tenth Doctor as well. It's like, yeah, but, <laughs> what a coincidence. Yeah, interesting choice. Um, Martha then runs uh, to uh, John Smith's quarters where he was uh, yet again uh, making out with uh joan and martha just barges in and gets shouted at again and then she's like okay ruses up we've got to turn you back into the doctor aliens are here and this is where she finds out that the stopwatch is gone uh john smith doesn't remember ever having a stopwatch because there's a perception filter on it if you remember perception filters were a big thing in russell t davis's era even in torchwood they basically explained why why people don't look at anything weird going on um and uh she's like oh no we need you to remember that you're the doctor you know and the doctor starts being really talking down to her where he's like oh okay you read my book and you, you don't understand the difference between reality and fiction i understand he starts like being really really mean to her which leads martha to slapping him in the face uh, and getting fired from her job and stuff like it, that it, it also comes across as you know racist which yeah. is kind of uh, hard to watch for a doctor to do and must have been hard you know in the character of martha like just one of your best friends is suddenly acting racist towards you treating you like a non-equal yeah yeah it's uh, it's pretty rough 
Yeah, but Martha gets kicked out and she she then goes running because she's like, I've got to figure out how to get the doctor to remember he's the doctor. Uh, she bumps into Tim, who has a flash psychic connection thing that she's from the future, but Martha's not listening to him. She just keeps running. Um, we then cut very briefly to the family scooping around the house uh sniffing for stuff and they're kind of figuring out that the doctor is hiding himself as a human but they're not quite sure who he is yet uh they have their suspicions but nothing is confirmed um meanwhile the dance is beginning and the doctor and that are, are the doctor and joan are walking to the dance they give some money to a veteran who's outside a veteran of the crimea war uh he's a very important character and that he sets up a pun uh so i love him uh, <laughs> uh and people begin the waltz and this is where, the, you know, we cut back to the family and they're like, God, where, which, where's the doctor going to be? You know, he has to be somewhere and we think he's going to be at this uh, this dance. And the guy's like, well, we've got an invite invite to the dance because daughter of mine's going to be there. Isn't that wonderful? And we get this crash zoom into the invitation, uh, which is a lovely bit of uh, 2000s camera work. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then Martha comes barging to the dance. The guy's like, oh, you should use the other door. And she's like, shut up. And just keeps <laughs> walking. Uh, and where she confronts uh, John Smith and that with... Uh, she, well, she confronts Joan first. And she's like, he's a bit weird, isn't he? You gotta admit he's weird. And then she confronts uh, John Smith with the sonic screwdriver. And she's like, you know, this is your sonic screwdriver. You know, name that. What is that thing called? You know who you are. Deep down, you know what the truth is. Uh, and he's he's looking at her kind of terrified, kind of like confused. It's a really interesting performance from David I, Tennant. I, I, I do find it weird that Martha is never like, oh my god, I should take the doctor to the TARDIS. To the TARDIS. That, Show him the video. Explain, yeah. yeah, I'd explain it so much more to him. Yeah. Uh, she's, I guess she's in a panic. Also, how would she convince John Smith to go yeah. with her into the woods, you know? And also, uh, maybe she's thinking about it in this moment, but obviously she's going to get cut out. Yeah. Because bad things are gonna happen uh, because the scarecrows are at the window as the family come marching in uh and this is where the pun is where the the guy is like spare any change and uh baines goes well i didn't spare you uh and then shoots him dead <laughs> and it is it's perfect it's an absolutely amazing amazing pun i love it um and this is where they barge in and they they figure out that uh david Tennant is the doctor because the little girl heard martha being like you're the doctor uh john smith you're the doctor you're the one the aliens are looking for she basically just yeah. gives away their hiding place completely well, which wasn't the wasn't the best uh, choice by martha <laughs> yeah to do it in a wide public space with everybody listening yeah. in uh, yeah a ridiculous move uh but this is where the aliens start threatening everybody uh one of them grabs martha the other one grabs joan guns to their heads and baines is like who you, you got to choose to save one you know reveal yourself to be the doctor and save them or one of them's gonna die you know who's it going to be your friend or your uh like love interest basically and then you know we we push in on david tent looking really confused and scared and then you know music kicks in to be continued very much a classic who cliffhanger where there's peril and how are we going to get out of this there's no way to get out of this have to tune in next week it is a excellent cliffhanger and also brings... one, of, one of my favorite things about the old intros uh, the old um credits i mean is that when it's a cliffhanger, they put the next time trailer at the very end of the uh, credits. So if you want to tune out, you could tune out. So you don't get spoiled about next week's episode. I, I always watch the next time, though. It always made me even more excited. As, as a kid, I definitely did. But if, if I was watching this now, I would probably... We don't watch it. I'd still watch the next time just because I like getting excited uh, by Doctor <laughs> Who, which happens very easily. Um, Not these days, folks. 
even these days, I, I'm still excited for Doctor Who. I was excited for Flux. I'm excited for the centenary. I'm excited for the 60th. As bad as Doctor Who gets, I'll never stop being foolishly excited for it. Um, but that is the end of episode one of uh, The Family of Bloods, and this is Human Nature. What did you think of it, Scott, looking back? Yeah, it's a fucking really great opening episode, you know? Like, David Tennant, man, what an actor. This is, like, the most... That David Tennant has ever gotten to act on the show, I would say. Like he's a completely different character here, and a great cliffhanger. You know, like you feel more danger in this cliffhanger than most cliffhangers because it's the Doctor in a scenario where he's not the Doctor, and you feel like he could just easily get killed off because he's not the Doctor. You can't think of him. Not only is he not the Doctor, he is a buffoon of a man. You know, <laughs> he's this like blubbering idiot man who's you know kind of brave but does not really think out the smartest of decisions and just kind of wants to live a quiet life and you're like you're you're not the action hero that the doctor is you're going to be in a lot of danger and you yeah you do feel it i remember as a kid being on the edge of my seat because i it plays into the performances specifically of baines as well the villain's feel threatening and they're presented immediately where the doctor's like i have to hide i can't beat these guys you know the only way to survive is to hide from them uh where they're they're built up really well with this cliffhanger, you don't see a way out of this situation. Two characters have a gu- have a gun against their heads, and the Doctor is has no idea what the fuck is going on. Yeah, and like you can't you can't imagine any way for them to escape for this. It's it's a pretty impressive cliffhanger. The original cliffhanger was supposed to be whether or not the, uh, the, uh, John Smith should allow the kids to shoot at the scarecrows, but I'm glad we found this cliffhanger because that cliffhanger wouldn't have been as interesting. Yeah, it's an amazing cliffhanger, an amazing episode overall, amazing two-parter. You'll find out next week what we think about uh, Family of Blood. Uh, Spoiler alert, it'll be very positive. Imagine if part two just turns out to be part two of Attack of the Cybermen. (laughs) We're just sitting here wondering what the fuck is going on, why is this happening? I know for a fact. I know uh, for a fact it isn't, but it'd be funny if we wound up hating it. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but Scott... Uh, no, not, not, we're not getting to your bit yet. Yeah, I have a bit to say. What am I on about? Uh, if you have any any thoughts on the Family of Blood storyline and or anything Doctor Who related, email us at whowatcheswhopod at gmail.com and we will read it out at the end of the month in our monthly news podcast. Scott's turned off his... There we go. He's back. Uh, he, he webcam went off there for a minute. Um, All right. E- email us. At, and now you're out of sync. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> everything everything goes wrong at the end of the episode. Anyway, uh, whowatcheswhopod at gmail.com. That's the email. Email us in, please, and we will read out the end of the episode. Uh, in the meantime, Scott, what's coming out in the next few weeks? Uh, next week, we're also doing part two of... Uh, it's called The Family of Blood, part two. Uh, it's it's called fa- uh, Family of... Uh, the first episode's called Human Nature. This yeah. one's Family of Blood. I always get those two mixed up for some Same. reason. So do yeah. I. Yeah. And then at the end of the month, we got our news podcast, and there's quite a bit of news this month, kind of. Yeah. Not as much news as last month, but there's enough news. And then next next month, we're doing interesting stuff. I can't remember what we're doing next month, but yeah. I've got it here. Uh, in August, we are looking at, at the start of August, the Sarah Jane Adventures, Death of the Doctor. We're going to be revisiting Sarah Jane. We've we visited the fir- the pilot uh, of Sarah Jane Adventures a few months ago. Was it a few months ago? Was it like a year ago? Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> it was in October. Oh my god. Uh, feels like this year, but it was last year. His webcam's off again. Look at Scott and his terrible webcam. There we go. He's back. Uh, Shut up. 
He's out of sync again. Wow. So, <laughs> such a bad internet connection. But we are looking at Sarah Jane Adventures' Death of the Doctor in August, followed by Dalek, one of uh, Eccleston's best episodes. And then we're ending off August with The Haunting of Via Diodati, which is a Jody episode, is it? Yes. Yes. Uh, and that'll be the month of August. I can't believe we're coming into August already. This year is zipping by. Oh, my God. We've um, nearly done this for a year and a half now. What? Oh, <laughs> it still feels like we're only like a few months in. <laughs> it doesn't feel like we've been, been recording what, what episode every is week. This? Almost episode 60. Sure. I think this is maybe 58 or 59. Uh, let's see. Last week was 58. So this is 59. Next week will be 60. Yeah. My God. Yeah, that is mental. You've muted your mic on Discord. Um, but yeah, I, I could read your lips. That's how I knew what you said there. <laughs> like that. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Uh, unless you didn't say mental, uh, but I'm pretty sure you did. Um, I didn't. <laughs> I don't believe you. I'll, I'll hear back when I'm editing. And I bet you, you said mental. Unless, I said my God. <laughs> maybe you said my God, but maybe you said mental. It looked like mental. Uh, I've, I feel like I've put all my eggs in one basket with this mental thing. <laughs> now I'm going to make myself look the fool. Um, but anyway, yeah, f- you can find us on YouTube at Who Watches Who, on Twitter at Watches Doctor, on Facebook at Who Watches Who. All the links are in the description. Podcast is available in video form on YouTube, audio form, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and until then, we will see you next week with Family of Blood. Uh, yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.